Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. In this episode of The Bell Tale, shot and left for dead. A Northern Ireland man tells the story of how robbers in South Africa murdered his wife, shooting her in the head in their own home. They came through the bedroom window. Um, he just fired off two shots. The two bullets that were fired were at Susan. She was out of the game straight away. He tells the story of how they tortured him before shooting him in the neck walking away and leaving him for dead. They found a blue torch. Yeah. So that's when they started the torture. Then they pulled me out of the car. Frog marched me through a field, told me to get down on my knees. And uh, I don't know what happened. Robert Lynn had lost his wife of 40 years, Susan. The attackers were later jailed for 37 years. Now they're going to go to prison, but I'm still in prison. They put me in prison. I haven't got a chance. Robert Lynn spoke to the Belfast Telegraph's news editor, Adrian Rutherford. You, you were born in Belfast, you were saying, and yeah. lived here for most of your life. I was literally by Madigan Park South. It's near the zoo. Mm-hmm. But 28 years before I left. What happened was I was a junior assistant charge engineer at Belfast West, mm-hmm. power station in the docks, and, uh, and they were in the process of building Kilroote, but because of the economic situation, they put it on hold. So I was supposed to go there, uh, which would have been a setup in career. I decided, well, I'm not going to wait. For five years hanging around kind of thing. <clears throat> so I saw an advert in the Sunday Telegraph from the Johannesburg City Council, the electricity department, 
looking for people. And with South Africa, it's a five-year contract. Mm -hmm. So I applied and they offered me the job, so I thought I'd go for five years. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously you, you stayed there a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah, 40 years. Mm -hmm. So you were initially in, was it Johannesburg? Yeah, Johannesburg. And then you moved to? I was in Joburg from 1977 to 2001. Okay. I became a retiree at 52. <laughs> <laughs> My wife Susan, she was manager, so she decided to pack up as well. So the two of us disappeared to the east of Johannesburg to a place called Dalstrom. Yeah. 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 What sort of place was Dulstrom? Um, it had 1,415 residents during the week. Mm -hmm. uh, weekends, public holidays and you know, Christmas it would rise to maybe 4,000. Like Port Stewart, Port Ballantrae, absentee people you know, who only come for weekends. And, but we were permanent. Um, and Susan had started a, a riding school, stables called Dulstrom Stables, and uh, she ran that for about two, three years. And uh, we bought a portion of a farm just outside, about four kilometres outside Dulstrom. Mm -hmm. you, you'd obviously even met Susan in, in South Africa, was it? Yes. Uh, 1977. Mm -hmm. um, they had what they call communal houses in Johannesburg in the 70s where everybody had darts and they called them houses or something. They used to play one another, mm -hmm. you know, teams. And she found me under a table. <laughs> so she was a bit worried about me. So that's how it started. <laughs> uh, under a table? Yeah. Okay. I mean, what, what type of person would you describe her as or how would you have described her? Took no enemies. Very hardworking, very meticulous. Uh, organizer. She was organizer to a fault that she couldn't delegate all the time. She would have to do it herself or be involved when actually she should be not hands-on. Yeah. But that's the way she was. You were together for, for a long time then, yeah? Well, from 77. 40 years, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, your your life in, in Dulstrom, I mean, it was fairly... I mean, South Africa would have a, an issue with crime, but would, would that have been a, an area that would have had much problems? It started increasing. Um, I'm afraid we were in denial in that we were one of the ones who said it'll never happen to us. And um, obviously a big mistake on our, our part. In terms of that night in question, um, can you take me through it? Yeah, it was um, at 10 past two. I can only tell you that because when they took me into the living room, I could look at the clock on the wall because I was going to tell the police whenever I eventually would be released. <laughs> That's how confident I was. Anyway, they came through the bedroom window, two of them. Uh, the third one was outside, unbeknown to me. The first chap at the front, instead of asking questions or saying something, um, he just fired off two shots. I thought he was shooting at me because <clears throat> I could see the gun. I saw the flash and I heard the bang and I could see every bullet in the chamber because it was a revolver. I mean, it was like x-ray eyes. I could see the color of the tip and 
on the rest of it. And obviously the first bullet, the two bullets that were fired were at Susan. The first one hit her on the right of the eye here, on the forehead, and then traveled underneath the skin and came out through the top of the left eye. So that's when she was comatose. She was out of the game straight away. The other bullet missed and it stuck in the headboard. So they grabbed me, because um, this was going on so quickly. And of course, there were four dogs in the bedroom and they were flying all over the place. So there was pandemonium. I mean, we're talking seconds, we're not talking even minutes. So they, <clears throat> one with the gun, hit me on the back of the head, pulled me out of bed and they took me into the living room. And then it all started, you know, where's the money? Where are the guns? Where are your safes? Do you have a wall safe and all this kind of nonsense? You know, I knew not self-aware. You guys, I said to them, look, whoever gave you intelligence information on what was here, they, they gave you the um, information. And he shouted back at me, he said, no, they didn't. They, no, they didn't. Now, it transpired that the one who had the gun, his brother used to work for Susan as a, in the stables. Mm -hmm. And he was fired in 2016 uh, because he was caught stuck theft. But the one who was using the gun was his brother and gave these two bum information to sell a, to say that there's always money on the on the farm, yep. which is all lies. Yeah. So the, that night they've, they've shot at your wife? Um, but I didn't realise that she had been shot. Because things went so quickly and, uh, and they had me sat down in the seat in the, in, uh, in the lounge and started, shall we use the word interrogate? So that's when they started the torture. They found a gas a canister. Yeah. A blowtorch. Yeah. So they started to use that on me. So, uh, what, did they, what did they do? Um, well, they started on this leg, the left leg. I mean, that's the first one they ever did. But the one that really got me <clears throat> is that one. That one would not heal. Every time I got a scab on it, antibiotic cream, the whole lot. It would come off and it would bleed, 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 bleed. I could never get it. Um, anyway, I finished with my legs, so now they started on my stomach. Yeah. So they started here and they were working their way up. Yeah. And uh, then it just went dead. It was lucky because the gas ran out. I mean, you say they were torturing you with this blowtorch. That was an attempt to try and get you to say where this money was, supposed money was. Yeah. Oh, they were even going up to all the pictures on the wall, looking behind them thinking that there was money tipped behind the wall or there might be a safe, you know, in the wall. There was a safe in the bedroom. So I thought, I can't stick this. So I pointed to a coffee table and I said, look, there's a thousand rat now there. And there was a, a rescue, a tin, charity tin. I said, there's that and uh, there's my card. You can take a thousand rand in 24 hours, 
there's the pin number. Just leave and go and do your thing. He said, I won't tell anybody. I'll just report that the card was stolen. Mm-hmm. And I'll do it because this was Saturday night, Sunday morning. I said, I'll do it on Monday morning with the bank. But that wasn't enough. It, it started again. So then I thought, oh, my last chance is a safe, and I don't know what's in it. And first of all, I don't know what the bloody code is. So this was a little wall safe, but it wasn't in the wall, it was in a closet. So took them back into the bedroom, and that's when I saw Susan, and she was lying on her side in a fertile position, and the blood all over the pillow. And I, of course, said, well, what have you done? What's going on here? So they wouldn't let me go and see her. And they forced me into the <clears throat> into the, the little room at the side of the bed where the safe was. I don't know what the number is. I never used it. She did. And usually had jewellery in there. So I tried 18... I thought my birthday did, so I tried 1805.49. Wouldn't work. And they said, stop fucking me around. Um, so then he came back with a steak knife and he started stabbing me in the chest, just prodding. So I started bleeding. And I remember saying to myself, my God, Susan, <laughs> this is unbelievable. Susan's going to get mad now because there's blood on the carpet. <laughs> so, so I thought, oh, I'll try our birthday and then it worked. And uh, they had a look inside and I don't know what they took. Then they brought me back to the lounge. Wouldn't let me see Susan again. Uh, sat me down. And of course, you know, I, f- I forgot to say that originally they had tied my hand behind my back with uh, binding more. And that was at the very initially, at the early stages. Then in a big discussion, they spoke in an African language, which I didn't obviously understand. And they decided then that they were going to put me in the buggy. That's the pickup truck. So they took me through the kitchen, right through the back door, and put me in the back of the car. And uh, I sat there for I don't know how long in the dark. Then I heard the voices, and uh, and then the, the lid being opened. And then this, like a sack of potatoes being thrown into the back. And uh, then I heard the moaning. So I realised it was Susan. So they had thrown her in the back like a bag of potatoes, closed up. And they all jumped into the car and drove up for the night. They'd go up the lane and they would turn left to go to Dulstrom and go to the ATM and use the card to get the money and then throw us off somewhere. And no, they turned right. Sat down dirt road, dirt tracks, and I've ended, ended up on a road I'd never been on before. And it was a beautiful road. It was tarmacked, um, pristine condition. And I kept stopping and then arguing with one, one another and then stopping and going on again, arguing again. And then they came to a, like a lay-by and they stopped there. Um, then they pulled me out of the car. Frog marched me through a field through a barbed bar wire fence, told me to jump it, <laughs> dragged me through the barbed bar wire fence. Then another, uh, I was in a pair of shorts, uh, sleeping shorts, 
nothing on my feet and my feet started bleeding and my feet were very sore and so was my hip. Anyway, we got to do some place because it was still, you could see what was going on because this, the moon, the full moon had come out. There's no cloud, stars and uh, the number three I call him, the accused number three, the boss man, he told me to get down on my knees and uh, I don't know what happened. No, I'd been shot, but I didn't know. I didn't hear anything. Obviously, it came from behind. And I felt this hot stuff running down my pipe, down my neck, around the throat area. And my hands were tied, so I couldn't, didn't know what it was. But it was very hot. And I was lying on my side. I heard voices in the background, before down, disappearing into the sunset kind of thing. And, uh, I heard the uh, pickup buggy driving off and um, I heard the buggy going up the hill and it stopped. So they pulled into a, another siding and they'd taken Susan out, I didn't know this at the time, taken Susan out of the back of the buggy and took her into the forest. Um, I heard two shots and because it was like in a valley it echoed all over the place and they'd shot her twice through the left eye. Anyway, I got my hands free. I got up, fell down, and then I vomited. So I crawled up, went underneath the barbed wire fence and crawled onto the road. And in the left, you can see there's a village or there's something there because there's lights on. Now, naturally, you would turn left and something told me to turn right. And I crawled up the, against the traffic flow on the sandy side of the tarmac and I could hear this, now this is going to be weird, and I crawled across the tarmac into the forest and there was Susan in a ditch. Uh, she had a plastic bag in her mouth. Couldn't get the plastic out of her mouth because her jaws were locked. And she was making this noise. Um, anyway, I thought, now what am I going to do? So I thought, well, the best thing I can do is go back onto the road. Four trucks passed me, two cars, not one stop. And I was getting desperate. All of a sudden I heard this jeep and I heard it coming down round the bend. And then I could see it, it was towing something and it was a boat. I said to myself, well, this is it, they're gonna have to run over me because I'm not, I stood in the middle of the road. So of course they saw me, they braked and jackknifed the boat. And the guy got out and he had a look at me. And he said, God, young man, he's an African. What happened to you? And I told him, I said, look, my wife's in there. She's going to need medical attention. So his friend went into the, into the forest and he came out screaming. And he said, Jesus, I'm an African. So he said, there's a woman in there. <clears throat> and she's in terrible shape. So they uncoupled the uh, boat and the driver then turned around. The, his mate stayed with me, I lay down in the boat, and he drove them to Belfast, and that's when the authorities uh, got involved. Then the ambulance, and of course, came the police security, and took us to Belfast Hospital, and uh, I went in the same ambulance as Susan. When they took one look at her, they put her on, obviously, oxygen, all the usual stuff. They had a look at me and did a bit of stitching. And uh, I don't remember anything after that until 
Sunday night, and I came to, and the nurse said, I'm saying you're, you're awake. The surgeon wants to talk to you. You know, I didn't know what was going on. And the uh, lady surgeon came in, and these probably the worst three minutes of my life. She just came out straight away and she said, Mr. Lennon, I'm not going to take the bullet out. It's too near your vertebrae, but you're quite entitled to uh, take a second opinion. I looked at her and I thought, what's she talking about? Shot. I said, what about Susan? What's she doing? She said, well, and the word she used was, well, you're, you're quite entitled as a spouse to throw the switch. I couldn't comprehend what was going on. I said, no, I'm not. Um, well, they want a deadline. I said, all right, I'll make it 9 o'clock Tuesday. I don't know why I said that, but anyway, 9 o'clock, it's Tuesday evening. Then they took me down to see her, and she was, I mean, you couldn't hardly see her. She was covered in all the tubes and everything. Um, and then uh, Tuesday morning, uh, 9.20 or something like that, 9.32, her heart stopped. That was it. And I still didn't believe that I'd been shot. And it was only when there was a warrant officer, he, um, he told me, yes, they executed you. Now, he knew that because by this stage they had caught all three of them because they triangulated all the cell phones that they'd stolen from us and they were able to pick them up and then uh, when they knew that something was, they were caught red-handed, especially with the card and the ATM cameras and all the rest of it. Cues number three. He uh, made a statement. This is how he explained it, that they put me on my knee and that cues number two shot me in the back of the head. Yeah, cues number two said he didn't do it. He said number three did it. So they were all blaming each other. Now, it's subsequently cues number two, who I believe did all the shooting, mysteriously died. They reckon he was murdered in, in prison. Then that created a big problem because now there's only two. And the two of them who are the accused were brothers. The accused number three, when it got to court, he claimed that the police tortured him and that what he wrote down was under duress. So the judge had to um, have a trial within the trial. So they had to test his evidence before they could even get to the murder charge. In terms of the trial, the trial was, was it 2019? First of all, um, February, uh, March, March 2017, mm -hmm. um, it was in the Belfast Magistrates Court applying for bail. And then because of the outcry, the police got it transferred out of Belfast to um, another place, Brayton, in the middle of nowhere. And I found out they decided on Brayton because there wouldn't be any demonstrations in there, in that place, because nobody knew anybody there. There's so many postponements. I think maybe it was the last time that I really got fed up, February, March 2018. And then I decided, well, after the winter's over there, um, I'm not going to spend another Christmas. I'd applied for a gun 15 years before. When we were on the farm, they kept telling me they'd lost the application. So I gave up. So I told the police, the government can't, I can't trust the government and the government can't look after me. I said, what pisses me off is the fact that I can't 
defend myself. I hate to admit it, but uh, the first night I was home on my own, I slept in the garage in my car. And every little noise on the roof, I was paranoid. I thought somebody was trying to get in. And then when I was sitting on my own in the lounge, watching TV with the, the curtains shut, I get paranoid that the curtains are going to open and somebody's going to jump through. <laughs> I'm a... I'm not throwing a battle down anybody's throat or any religious aspect at all. I still believe in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you take responsibility for your own actions, then, you know, so be it. Now they're going to go to prison, probably get the third off for good behaviour. The rest will be on parole. They'll be out of prison, but I'm still in prison. They put me in prison. I haven't got a chance. You obviously then came back to... Um... Northern Ireland, Balmoney. I think you said 2018, you just got fed up with South Africa. Yeah. Well, I didn't believe there was anything I could do. You know, whatever I did, I was going to be on my own and I had to find a place where it was dog-friendly. Yeah. I phoned my sister an arm away and obviously looked at houses on the internet. Then I saw this place advertised, so I bought it without even being here. Yeah. You obviously leave South Africa, or left South Africa with very, um, very mixed emotions, I guess. Well, I feel betrayed. Definitely betrayed. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by Adrian Rutherford, sound design by Graham Davidson. The clips were from the Belfast Telegraph. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.